The pharmaceutical industry is a complex and fascinating field. It takes countless of people to bring a high-quality product to the market. In the Qualitox podcast, I bring to you leaders, experts and innovators who will share their experiences and explain to us how they do it. Welcome to the Qualitox podcast. I'm Enko Glier, host, and my guest today is Thomas McMahon. Thomas is the head of contracts at EPM Switzerland. And today we have a really interesting topic, contractors and consultants. So we're going to talk about why people who work in the quality or in the pharmaceutical industry should consider becoming consultants, independent contractors, and uh, what it really means to be one. What are the challenges behind it, the advantages, what are the most hot roles at the moment, and of course, what you should expect earning and uh, what benefits you would gain. So let's get to it. Hi, Thomas. Uh, well, welcome to the Qualitox podcast. Uh, it's great uh, to have you here and uh, talk about a really cool topic about uh, uh, being consultant or a contractor and uh, how to become one, the challenges and everything around it. So you are a head of uh, contracts at EPIM Scientific. So uh, what is your speci- specialization? Yeah, so I suppose... Um, thank you for having me, first and foremost. It's a pleasure uh, to be invited to, to be on your podcast. Um, yeah, so I manage um, EPM Scientific's contracts business out here in Switzerland. We're based in Zurich. Um, and we, I suppose, EPM in general, focus on from the start to the end of a product. Um, and we can support life science businesses through that whole journey. Um, specifically within Switzerland, we focus on quality and regulatory within the contracting consultant business, predominantly across pharmaceutical, biotech and medical devices. Um, so I suppose my job is to um, yeah, expand our business um, and grow um, EPM Scientific out here um, and obviously support um, life science clients with the best consultants that are available within Switzerland um, and also across the wider Europe. Um, as obviously Switzerland's quite a nice place to come and uh, live and work. Um, I've took advantage of that myself, moving from from the UK two and a half years ago. What is the market, the pharmaceutical market in uh, Switzerland? So basically, as far as I know, Switzerland is the biggest pharmaceutical market in uh, in Europe. Pr- pretty much so, yeah. I, I would say Switzerland is a, it's sort of the central hub w- within Europe, I think, for, for a lot of the, the major companies. Um, Either their international headquarters are based in Switzerland or regional headquarters are based here. I think some crazy statistic that's like 30 to 35% of Switzerland's exports come from the pharmaceutical industry, which is quite a large percentage of a country's exportation of goods. Um, and it just, yeah, it's, it's, it really is the hub, I think. Um, I mean, I think one of the main reasons for that is that there's a huge amount of innovation in Switzerland. Um, traditionally, there's quite a lot of money <laughs> that's in Switzerland, and a lot of companies invest very heavily um, in, into projects and new products. Um, however, it, it's probably not the quickest of, of countries with these projects and products compared to other uh, around the world. Um, but I think that plays a major part within why is a hub because of that innovation i think within switzerland but there are not that many big companies there or how yeah yeah a lot i mean if you think you know roche novartis johnson and johnson sealag um within the pharma industry i mean if you look basel for example that's pretty much founded upon these big pharmaceutical Mm. companies that are there with the big roche towers um, and the, the, the huge Novartis campus, um, you know, the, the, they have big um, areas. I think, for example, Lonza, it, which is based mm-hmm. in VISP, they pretty much own the whole of VISP <laughs> in terms of the amount of people and the, how big the facility is there. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, I think, to be honest, that the biotech side of things is something that's increasing more and more now. Um, specifically in Switzerland, I know for the likes of Biogen and, and CSL Bearing, who are based in Solitaire, they're building huge new, you know, production facilities, um, which is massive, you know, for Switzerland to have, you know, such large scale 
investment and companies that, that are here producing, you know, the, the best products in the world, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, definitely it's most companies if, <laughs> are in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. So also it's a hub also for smaller companies, biotech, uh, startups yeah. And, and so on. Yeah. yeah, very much so. Yeah, I think one of the unique things, probably not unique, I think a, a lot of countries will do the same thing, but the, the universities in Switzerland are, are very high standard. And I know the, you know, the university in Zurich, uh, St. Gallen, Basel, but also um, in Lausanne, they, they have a lot of startup um, cultures within students, um, which will start their own products and look for investment. And there's a huge link between the universities and the companies um, within that. I think in Zurich, there's a, a place called Technopark, um, and that's just startup companies that, that have links with the universities and things, um, which is pretty cool. And I think it's good for, I think, a country like Switzerland because it can keep a lot of the young working professionals within the country um, and not looking to go elsewhere for, for you know for, for jobs and things um but yeah the, the the small startup in switzerland's i think just as big as the the, the big players that are here mm-hmm. yeah that's a uh, good information and uh, i think there are a lot of people who actually live on the borders uh, like in uh, which in, in germany and in france and they uh, travel Uh, to Switzerland because they also uh, get uh, paid uh, quite well, I believe. Uh, the people who work there because uh, because of the currency exchange and in general, the pay, uh, I think, is a bit higher there. Yeah, I mean, it, the I would say that the pay is higher. If, you, if you're living in, for the likes of Germany or France, you're on the border of Switzerland, um, naturally your living costs are a lot less, you know, accommodation, food, etc., which is typically quite quite high in Switzerland, which is in comparison to, to the salaries that you get. But I think the biggest advantage for someone who's on the border that, that comes to Switzerland, that looks to move to Switzerland for work in, in that scenario is the tax. I mean, you, you'd be paying tax in in Switzerland. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure if you're earning the same amount of money in Germany, your tax would be a lot, <laughs> a lot, a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> I, know in, I know in France exactly. it would be a lot more. Um, so I think that the biggest advantage obviously is the tax and the, the highest salary type stuff. Um, but yeah, I think a, a lot of people on the border do use, um, mm. the advantage, I think of, of being in that location. And I would, if I was in, in someone's shoes and could, could do that as well. So, uh, let us maybe, um, talk a bit about, um, consultancy and, uh, and contractors. Uh, so mm-hmm. we have uh, two terms here and I believe they have a bit of different meaning uh, being a contractor and a consultant. So uh, what, uh, what are the definition in this, uh, in this uh, area? Yeah. I mean, this is, I'll put it out. It's more my definition, I mm-hmm. think, and the way I view things, it's not a in, you know, in writing type thing. Um, but I think over the past four and a half, you know, years of, of me working specifically just in the contracting market across Europe. Um, in my head, and I tell, you know, companies and clients is that there's a, a clear definition of um, the type of person that they may need and the type of service that, that consultants or contractors can give. Um, you know, the mo- most people are contractors. You know, they'll have a six-month contract, they'll come in on a certain hourly rate, and they'll do a specific job specific project where it will be the hands-on type work. For example, you're, you're building a new production line, you need to create a number of validation documents, it's hands-on, you know, the, the grunt of the work. That would be a, a typically a contractor. You know, they'll get given a task, they come in, they execute, they leave. Um, a consultant, um, which, I, which I've seen a, a lot more of, I think, in Switzerland than I have done in a couple Germany, to, to be fair, is on par as well than other countries like France, Italy, and Spain, um, even the UK. Um, uh, uh, people that have come from very senior roles, you know, so, so quality directors, global VPs, um, and they, they, they're the, the consultant. And where that comes is that, similar to, to me, I suppose, is that we, they want to give a consultative service. So they'll come into your business at probably a senior level or for a specific project to run that project. Um, but they will be consulting you on how to do things and what strategy to put in place. Um, and they're doing less of that hands-on creating documents, reviewing documents, 
type work, I think. Um, and what, what a lot of companies get wrong is that they hire the consultant to do the contractor type position. And then it doesn't match. And then they end up coming in and telling the business that they're doing everything wrong when really that business just wanted someone to come in and create these documents and then leave, um, which happens quite often, mm-hmm. um, which is why I think when I said that consultative, you know, especially I think EPM, you know, is, is all about giving that consultative approach um, on what is right, you know, for, for the business. Um, and I would say there that the two different types of consultant contractor that you could maybe be if you were entering into the market, I think. Um, and depending, I suppose, on the level and jobs you've had before would maybe determine what type of positions you'll obviously get. And I think that would then put you in that category. Mm-hmm. So if you are looking from the company's perspective, if they want somebody that comes for a short time and does some hands-on job like writing SOPs or reviewing some yeah. of the batch records and so on, so yeah. they... Uh, so you what you said they shouldn't aim for somebody with like a huge uh, um, experience uh, and uh, like somebody who comes from a really high position say like a, a quality vp or something uh, something like this so they should uh, take somebody with uh, a lot of hands-on experience with a specific task And somebody who lo- loves doing the uh, not giving a lot of advice but uh, rather really technical Yeah, I would say so. And um, I, I don't want to ring fence certain people because that's unfair. I mean, don't, I, I've worked with consultants who have been VPs that will come on and they'll do the hands-on work and they'll, you know, they'll execute and they'll mm-hmm. do that. There's, there's people that can do both. Yeah, but I guess um, it's, it depends on the, what uh, each of the side wants. So if somebody wants to be a consul- consultant, he should yeah. really then uh, uh, question uh, the job and uh, make sure yeah. he's there uh, To, to consult and not uh, doing the technical work and uh, vice versa, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's what I, w- I would say so. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting topic because I'm, I'm, I can guarantee it, there'll be, there'll be con- contractors out there that I would say you're a, a contractor that will probably say, no, I'm a consultant. But it, it's, it's just an opinion and it's the way that I think I categorize it for, for clients because I think when you explain it like that and you know a couple of people who, have, who are like that, it's then the client then understands what they need. And I think it will maybe help contractors or consultants maybe tailor the type of positions that they go for that maybe might play for their strengths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's uh, probably a good idea really to define it as, uh, as you do because uh, that way everybody has uh, his uh, expectation uh, in the right uh, place. So why should uh, people uh, strive to become consultants? So uh, a lot of people who... So first of all, people who become consultants have uh, quite a lot of experience in the industry. They probably have more than 10 years at least uh, of experience in the industry in different areas. So we are talking right now about quality, but um, quality assurance, probably also quality control and um, People also who work in uh, in aseptic manufacturing who uh, then go to an independent way. Mm-hmm. So why should people leave a really safe job where they work like uh, many years and they have like a really great position as a, a mm-hmm. head of department or a VP of quality and so on? So why should they uh, do the move and become independent? Yeah. So I'll go through the benefits, I think, of why people do so. But then I'll also discuss the challenges just so I'm not one sided and selling yeah. too much. So let's start with uh, the benefits. And of course, there are challenges because I can imagine so many of them. Yeah. 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 Good. See, so, I mean, I, th- I suppose the first big one which brings to mind is the flexibility, you know, right? As a, co- a contractor, consultant, Typically, you do get more flexibility of working from home, being on site. Um, naturally, you can pick the projects that you want to work. You know, if you want to work for six months and then have three months off, you can do that as a, a contractor because you, you, you pick the projects which you want to go on. Um, typically, I've seen that the consultant contractors do get more flexibility in a, in a, in a company than, say, maybe some permanent people. Um, which doesn't always make the permanent people. <laughs> There's, that's another challenge which I'll come on to. Um, but the, the flexibility is, I think, a big part of why people transition into 
to contracting. And that flexibility could also be stuff around, you know, maybe just becoming a mum, right? And you're coming back to work or you want to work part-time three days a week or you have other family type of scenarios that, that you want to go on. Just that type of working suits you better than maybe a permanent position of, of the flexibility you can get from a company. Um, the other second big one, which is probably the ma- one of, I'm not going to say main because it's not everyone is, but it's money, right? You know, there's, there's no um, saying it, you know, consultants, contractors do typically earn more than, than permanent staff uh, members. Um, and there's a number of reasons why that they, they get paid more, you know, that that um, insecurity of jobs, you know, they, they, they just they don't get any of the benefits of, of being, you know, holidays, sickness, you know, bonuses, you know, the other things you get within a permanent type environment, you don't get as a, a contractor. Um, but coming from a, a permanent position into a contract role or thing, you, you, you will, I would say you will earn more. Um, depending if you're a, a global VP and of Rosh and of Artists and you're fairly high up the, the, the chain, um, it's probably going to be very similar for you, I think. Um, the Another point which I think a lot of maybe people don't think about is, is learning and that whole development piece. You know, from you being a, a contractor, consultant, and going from one six-month project to another, they're two different completely companies, two different quality management systems, you know, two different ways of, of doing certain things. And I think the, the best, I mean, in my view anyway, the, the quickest you can develop your career and stuff is, is, is your learning process. And I think by going into different companies and learning how they do things is massively advantageous um, to somebody. Um, I suppose that also comes with the, you won't get bored, right? You know, you're, you're not going to do the same job, the same work in the same company and maybe not get rewarded for it and not maybe get as much career progression as maybe you'd want um, within a certain company. Um, I think another another point, maybe more for the consultants that are maybe coming is that you can very quickly get away from politics. Right. You know, in, in companies, there's a lot of politics. There's yeah. a lot of how you do things, a lot of things. And I think with being a contractor consultant. I heard it already is, from someone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is none of your business. Right. You, you don't need to get involved. You can finish at six o'clock, leave the office and go. And it's you're not paid to be involved and worry about that stuff. And and that can sometimes be a big mo- motivation for people that they're just sick of the, the 15 years of going around in circles, taking a long time to get things signed off and other X, Y, Z, and people tend to, to, to move on, on that point, I think. Exactly. Um, and also yeah. when you come to a company, you get uh, paid a lot of money for, for consultancy, especially um, because you're there to give advice. So mm-hmm. it uh, probably would be also foolish not to listen to you. So uh, you probably, it's easier to move things around, but uh, then if nobody li- listens and they doesn't uh, want to, then basically it's their, yeah. their problem, right? So you don't, yeah. you don't have uh, to, uh, to have sleepless nights and think, okay, where is my department going? What direction? Nobody yeah. is, uh, is uh, choosing the right path. Yeah. So that's yeah. great. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I think uh, another benefit as well as I suppose depending on the type of person you are, I suppose, is, is networking. You know, being a, a contractor, consultant, you meet a lot of people. You know, you're from different parts of the world, different companies, you build some good friendships. And I think I know a lot of people that like being a contractor because they get to meet a lot of really cool people in the industry or work with a lot of cool senior leaders that they get to, to work under and take the best of, you know, the best of, of everybody that they encounter, I think. So yeah, so there, there's some of that. There'll be probably be tons more that consultants will be able to say why they enjoy or what the benefits are of being a, a consultant contractor. Can I, um, before you, you probably want to get to the challenges right now, <laughs> but before that, I want to um, ask you about something that you mentioned. So about yeah. learning. 
So from mm-hmm. one side, uh, we so as people, we always uh, want to learn something uh, new. And going from company to company is the best way, especially from s- for somebody who was uh, 20 years in the same company. And uh, things get a bit uh, maybe boring and you want to see uh, s- some different uh, processes and learn from different people and see how things uh, are done. And I think the best consultants are, are the ones who... Um, come from who've worked in different companies have uh, so much uh, information that they gather they know uh, what type of process would fit this or other company and it's a great way for learning but a lot of consultants have huge uh, huge experience already but what about um, people who are not 20 or 30 years in the industry they are like seven years five years um, mm-hmm. would you think they can become con- uh, Cons- um, like uh, contractors uh, yeah. do technical mm-hmm. work and by mm-hmm. doing this really uh, speed up and hide their career to a different level because uh, as uh, we said we probably usually the consultants are um, um, have huge amount of experience uh, 10 20 30 years but uh, is it possible for people who are five years in the business go for uh, technical jobs mm-hmm. as contractors and then move from one company to another and By doing that, they can achieve so much knowledge and really get high position in then permanent jobs and companies. Yeah. I mean, my opinion would be is yes. You know, we, we work with a ton of people that are five to 10 years experience uh, as contractors. And if you think that you're 30-year-old, you know, 30, 30, 35, you haven't got a family, you know, you're quite free to be able to do things, you know, why shouldn't you travel the world or Europe get positions, learn as much as you can, get paid, still a, a, a good salary and experience life while, while being able to learn, right? You know, if you study at university for X amount of years to, and put that much effort in, why not get the most out of it, you know, in, in doing so? But yeah, I think you, you can definitely, you'll definitely, you'll learn a lot. And I think someone with maybe seven years experience who's worked in three different companies, been on some big projects, doing execution, hands-on work, that's had an impact, made improvements, that has that knowledge, in my opinion, should be seen as greater than someone that's just been seven years in one company because that other person has, in my view, more experience that have been in the deep water, they've put out more fires and seen different ways of doing things. So if you're going to hire a permanent person, you've got that one, that one person who probably could add a lot more To your business within that sense I mean saying that there's always a counter <laughs> counter to everything is that you know if you're a permanent you know manager looking to do that you might think that that person's a risk that in a year's time they might take a, a another contract role but in this day and age I don't think there's any security in any job that really you're in permanent or contract and I think anyone is likely to move for something another opportunity or, or whatever I think the average is like three to four years with that people stay in permanent positions at the moment um, it's typically people are, are looking to move on to that to that next step or that next learning environment or to run away from politics <laughs> whichever way <laughs> whichever way you look at it um, but yeah I hope that answered your question yeah in, in yeah way. yeah so I think it is so um, so so Just say uh, to summarize so people who are uh, about five years from uh, five years maybe in up uh, in some pharmaceutical uh, in, in a position uh, let's say in quality so it's a good idea for them also to look for some uh, contracts uh, basic contracts in um, in small companies if they seek uh, to progress because not not in every company you get the opportunity to do it so there are companies that uh, when they uh, have you as a permanent uh, employee mm-hmm. they may say okay you're in this department you you we trained you uh, that's in this time now you need to sit here five years and we don't uh, want you to move from mm-hmm. here and then you sit in one position five years and you don't have the opportunity to keep learning because uh, for some reason they keep you from it but if mm-hmm. you go as a consultant and uh, if you see yourself uh, rising higher in the ranks uh, so From, so from five years and up is it, is it, it is a possibility that uh, yeah yeah definitely but I think it's 
it's not going to be like you can just go and do one six month contract and then go and get another senior mm. position. You know, it's yes, something that several that you have like to you get, go you from get. like uh, several years, right? So yeah, you go correct. from yeah. a position to position. You do this, you do that. You uh, you uh, gain a yeah. lot of experience uh, from uh, yeah. really um, different areas. Uh, but from your point of view, five years of experience would be enough to jumpstart you in a good uh, con uh, consultancy or a contractor yeah. um, direction. Definitely. Mm -hmm. yeah okay. i would say so yeah yeah mm -hmm. perfect so that's good information for everybody who may uh, want to consider it because some may think okay i need to stay in camp in, in permanent position for many years but uh, mm -hmm. it's a uh, good uh, to point out that you can do it uh, earlier also so l let's get to the uh, to the challenges yeah. and the disadvantages yeah. because for every some uh, thing graded there are also some uh, things that uh, yeah. one must consider mm -hmm. yeah i mean Depending on where I suppose you move or what, what contracts you pick up, I suppose, you know, a lot of you might have worked with a lot of contractors that come from the UK or Ireland or, you know, they're away from their family for, for two weeks at a time that, you know, you, you don't see your kids. You know, I think some of the, the biggest disadvantages, I suppose, if you have a family and stuff is that you can be away from your family, you know, and then that is for some people, which rightly so is, you know, the most important thing in life and um and if if yeah so, so moving away being away from family in new countries um maybe being by yourself i know you know i, I could i know there's definitely some places in switzerland where i couldn't think, I, i couldn't imagine myself working being in a little village somewhere in the mountains um you know the, the, there's challenges of, of that side of things um i think that i think we've just gone through it as a, a world, right? We've just had you know, coronavirus that's, that's, that's been over the past six, seven months. Typically in a, a company, the first thing you're going to do if, if you need to save costs is get rid of the most expensive disposable things that, that you can, right? And typically they're consultants. You know, I know businesses here in Switzerland that let go 20 contractor temp type, type people, even, you know, temps that were on their payroll that were getting paid a salary, but like a fixed term type contract that just completely took them out, you know, 20, 30 people just let go because they're, that they were the easiest to, to, to save costs in it. And ultimately that's the biggest risk, right? And that could happen in a permanent position. You do obviously have a better notice period. So you have a bit of a buffer and it's more difficult to do that with certain laws and all across Germany and Switzerland, but That, that's a big risk. And I think if, if, if you speak to many permanent people that have been in a position for a number of years, that would probably be one of their biggest concerns is, is that lack of security, I think, um, with it. And that, that, that comes, I think it takes a certain type of person that is comfortable with that, that lack of security, the uncertainty type stuff, I think. Mm -hmm. So basically... Um... The problem also that uh, you may have time between projects. If you don't find the next one, it means that uh, even if uh, your contract is over, you weren't let go, but you, the contract is over. Yeah. It means uh, that if you hadn't found anything yet, then uh, you may uh, get stuck. So you need uh, yeah. really to make sure that uh, you have a safe net um, yeah. uh, of money or you get pay paid enough for one yeah. year of a contract to keep you uh, above water for another half a year yeah. at least mm -hmm. right yeah 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 definitely and i think that's something that people are again the un uncertainty of it that um but that's again another reason why you you get paid more as a contractor right you know if you work for six months but you get the salary of someone who gets exactly. work for 12 months you have that risk and um, and that's the big financial thing if you you know i'll come on to it later on actually about how to 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 get contracts and how to get the best type of contracts which will stop you from having them long gaps of work and 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 things like that but that's something that is definitely a challenge for a lot of people which this year has i i know a number of consultants that for this year have spent more more time not working than working this year due to to coronavirus um which is which is difficult um But the market's on the on, on the rise and everything's getting a bit more back to normal. So that's, that's, that's good, good news. That's good news. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think um, 
a bizarre one, which I, I know this for the UK. I don't know if it's impacted in Switzerland or Germany, but um, depending on what stage you are in your life, if you're a if you're a contractor, it's very difficult to get loans or, or mortgages because you don't have a permanent position and, and, a, and a fixed mm-hmm. salary. Um, and that's something that I know is difficult. But on the counteract of that, if you own your own business, you know, if you have a, a limited company or um, a Fiberlufa, which I think is the sole trader freelancer within um, Germany, you know, if you have that status of owning your company, then it's a bit different, I think, because you, um, you know, you then have a, a salary per year that you pay yourself from certain work. But that's something maybe more for listeners in the UK, I suppose, yeah. or elsewhere. No, but, but I think it's, it would be also correct in Germany because if you open your, uh, your own company, Mm-hmm. Even so, so in Germany, you have also the option to be a freelancer, which is mm-hmm. the one thing. It's not a company. You are just a freelancer. It's called a Freiberufla. And, yep. I, um, I said it wrong. <laughs> the German's not that good. <laughs> yeah. And um, then you have the option to open a company, like a limited, but it's not that easy uh, um to open a, such a company here, it, it's uh, like in the UK, because uh, you need to bring uh, money in it. There is a lot of uh, a bureaucracy to open it. And also, when you open it, you're like three years blocked from uh, getting credit or uh, getting loans, because yeah. nobody uh, wants to take the chance. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, one point that I didn't... Um, think about it first about this advantage but you have a really good point because somebody yeah. who is a, um, a freelancer probably is even riskier because uh, yeah. because yeah. if he doesn't have a limited uh, behind him uh, to cover the costs right yeah 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 no and i i think some other points you might have seen maybe i don't know i i know the number of permanent people we've seen is that you know consultants that will come in say for a six-month period tend to sometimes can happen is that you know they get the hard shoulder from from permanent staff you know mm. you you, you think there's, yeah. what's the point in making an effort to build a relationship with this person i'm not going to know him in six months or her yeah. should I and say, it's a big know? mistake so, it's a huge mistake yeah. i think um, it's a huge mistake because i also talked about it also um uh, in different podcasts with uh, when I did uh, some podcasts with consultants uh, like uh, Alex Hall I think uh, we talked about uh, this issue that uh, and um, with other uh, also with other people uh, who were consultants on the podcast and we said that um, uh, you some companies bring the consultants and they put them in a different room and say okay yeah. uh, uh, do the yeah. job so usually yeah. they uh, have some um, so, uh, so you, sometimes they're not allowed to put the consultants in the same room because they need special conditions etc but um, it's really bad to really uh, cut them off from the staff for uh, several reasons so first of all when the consultant comes and you you didn't learn anything from him because uh, let's say you have somebody you brought a consultant contractor to make some changes or uh, update your SOPs uh, batch records so and so on and he left. He did the job. He left, and you learn nothing. You just uh, lost yeah. a lot of uh, money. You, so consultants usually come with a lot of experience, and they, it should be a privilege—a privilege for people, uh, for permanent worker to go and work with such uh, knowledgeable people uh, to learn from them and they really keep the knowledge inside the company after the the contractors yeah. leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest things when I speak to clients is that they we don't want to hire a consultant. Oh, we want we want to keep we want the knowledge in in house. We don't want to you know to take any of them. I said okay, well, think of what you can actually take from that consultant and implement, which can actually benefit your business. Exactly. You know, so they, they they tend to think the other way around. When really, it's if you look if you're paying that money for someone, you should want to get every last bit of knowledge that you can from their experience, which can benefit you. Um, and I think that the biggest thing, it, it makes it a, an uncomfortable environment to work in, right? You know, you, people want to go into work and say hi, share a coffee and, you know, meet people. You know, that's the, the biggest thing why people go into the office, right? People that have experienced this over the past six months working from home by yourself can be boring, can be lonely. You know, you, you, you miss that interaction with human beings. Um, and I think having different people come in your organization and 
spices things up a bit um and what you can learn from people and just meet people because you that's one of the points i'll mention later on about networking you know and what you know you could meet someone 10 years ago in your career and it could be full circle and you could use their knowledge or their help or something later on which could benefit you um and i think ring fencing as you said the consultants off to things it's it's yeah it's, i don't think it's it's just in my opinion a silly way of of doing things um you're not getting your money's worth out of people if you, if you do it like that exactly so um just um take advantage of the really yeah. from the from the knowledge and yeah. um yeah and people want to socialize and thanks god i have the podcast because that way i get to socialize a bit <laughs> with people and uh, and yeah. that's uh, really amazing and um so during the covid situation uh, so you said a lot of con uh, contractors lost their uh, jobs because uh, the company need to uh, to do some uh, cuts in the budget but uh, does it work um, uh, remotely so we said that one of the uh, let's say it can be advantage and disadvantage that you need to travel. So or some people who are not really attached, don't have a, a family, they, it's a great opportunity to travel the country, the world. It's, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, learn um, learn uh, to get to know, network, etc. And it's also a disadvantage for people with uh, families who cannot leave them for a long time or it's difficult to leave them because I know that they do it uh, sometimes for uh, or, um, per week, per month so they, and then they travel back but it can be difficult so yeah. is it um, uh, did we during the COVID situation did we, did we move a bit further and um, um, understood that we can also do a consultancy remotely does it yeah. work right now? Very much so. Yeah, very much so. I think, obviously, the, the world was forced to make changes and adapt and businesses had to learn how to onboard people remotely. They had to learn how to set people up remotely. Even us, uh, as a recruitment business, we had to adapt into, into that environment. I think we hired 20 people this week in our London business, which started, you know, remotely. You know, and so, so it's just, I think the first few months of, of that, of February, March, April, when, when it really started to kick off, you could say, obviously everyone put the, the brakes on and it was, this is new, challenging, we're, we're not prepared. Then it took a couple of months to get to grips and move things on, but definitely much so. I mean, I've, we have onboarded consultants, contractors with, with, with companies that are still working remotely you know, that are doing CSV activities that are, you know, doing documents, et cetera. And they're, they're working remotely um, for, for the time being. And it's slowly now, it is slowly now starting to come back on site and have people on site um, with things. Um, but that has been probably a good thing for a lot of the consultants, which we've mentioned about having to be away from home or family or travel quite a lot is that they were allowed to, to work from home <laughs> for six months. They didn't have to, to bother with all that stuff. Um, with it i think good uh, so did we cover all the challenge and benefit uh, the challenges or the problems that uh, people should yeah, consider? I, I, yeah i would i, I would off so. the top of my top of my head yeah i think so yeah so uh, if you are talking about the quality arena so uh, mm -hmm. what types uh, of uh, consultancy jobs or contractor jobs those are typical uh, areas or the roles that uh, mm -hmm. can people from the quality arena occupy Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think I'll I'll discuss maybe three or four things that are more trends. I think at the minute that we're seeing, naturally it's going to be specific to Switzerland because it's it's the country and the only market that that we work in. Um, there's a huge amount of work in validation activities, you know, commissioning, qualification, um, type work at the moment, which we've seen over the past four months a huge amount of demand for. Um, and I think that's just because of the amount of companies that are building new production facilities within Switzerland, um, production lines, et cetera, or they've been approved and they need to go back and redo certain activities. Um, I've never seen uh, in the past four years, I've never seen as, as many similar projects within that area on at the same time over the course of this year. So, I, you know, if, if you're a validation consultant engineer, you know, work in commissioning, utilities, validation stuff. There's a there's a tons of hot jobs out there at the moment, specific, specifically in Switzerland, I think, on that 
Mm-hmm. Um, another, I suppose, um, not weird, but not weird, but I think for some reason over the past, say, six months, we've seen a huge demand in um, lab technicians. And I know that isn't quality. Um, it covers in QC, to, to be fair, in the quality mm-hmm. control. There's a lot of QC departments mm-hmm. which we're putting um, um, lab technicians into. And I think that's just because here there's most companies, pharma, are <laughs> looking to try and produce a, a vaccine for coronavirus. Um, and B, there's tons of new products in, in with this innovation point I mentioned within Switzerland. Um, so what do those which, uh, technicians um, do, actually? The- um, so there's a, there's a lot of work that are doing in just general hands-on work in the lab, um, a lot of analytical oh, okay. t- type work. So actually... Like, Um, laborants and actually yeah. uh, quality control analysts so usually yeah. those yeah. roles are permanent but uh, it's interesting because yeah. I wouldn't think that it's uh, um, really beneficial uh, to take a big, uh, to take um, console uh, to take contractors in this pe- job type because you yeah. usually need to train them for at least a half yeah. a year and yeah. you need to make sure that uh, they comply so so it means that yeah. it's quite a long term contract <laughs> Yeah, yeah, or the 18 months, mm-hmm. you know, okay. 18 yeah. month type of contract. But I, I do also think that I think that has been made due to coronavirus. I think, you know, if we're going over the past six months, I think it's just been specifically within companies wanting to do that. Another innovation that maybe their the skill sets they have in house are, are spread too, too, too wide with certain projects and things that are on the go type of things. Um, but I suppose the You mentioned it, batch record review, mm, SOPs, yeah. you know, the, the classic quality type type work is always there for contract positions, I think. Um, the engineering space is, is there with it, I think. Um, that's typically where you find a lot of the, the temp contracting positions is around that. It is within quality. Yeah. And then, so and engineers then engin- uh, with uh, knowledge in accepting manufacturing or uh, yeah. tech transfers... And um, yeah. right, mm-hmm. yeah, Def- definitely, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. There, there, there. There's, there's a lot of them type of projects on at the moment. I think with, and I think specifically for Switzerland as well, because there's a lot of headquarters and regional headquarters which I mentioned that are in Switzerland. They typically get quite a lot of tech transfer projects because of companies saying the US or elsewhere wanting to centralize a lot of their major products and things so they want them in switzerland so they'll move a lot of that stuff over here mm-hmm. yeah so i think that um, a lot of what you mentioned um like uh, batch reviews and um, system validations and so on mm-hmm. so i think it's it would be uh, the same for the, the 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 rest of the world too yeah. because it's something that uh, it uh, probably also depends on uh, the weaknesses of the systems and the, the companies and the, the, the probably uh, the, the um, I don't know um, warning letters that the companies get or where the yeah. uh, where the institutions look at uh, right now during the audits yeah. where they find the, the weaknesses in the systems and mm-hmm. it probably would be a lot to do with validations and uh, yeah. and the general systems in place uh, but I think computer system validation is a really hot topic right now Yeah, everywhere very much so yeah very much so um i think if you if you think of a a contractor is they they're like firefighters right they they, they come in and they put out fires you have a warning letter you've got a big project you'll get four con- you know contract consultants to come in and put out that fire for you um to, to do so <laughs> is a way that we sort of look at it with the firefighting type thing um but yeah there's as you mentioned the csv type stuff as well as is quite hot at the moment. Why do you think that is in terms of like the CSV type stuff? So I think been... it's uh, because, uh, first of all, um, there, the FDA concentrates a lot right now on con- computer mm-hmm. system validation and data integrity in general. And um, I think that also the pharma industry is a bit uh, behind technologically mm-hmm. um, because it's uh, quite difficult. It's it, it, it demands a lot of work to validate uh, systems or change systems. So a lot of pharma companies work with uh, um, old systems that uh, don't mm-hmm. comply with all the regulations. Yeah. 
and that's mm-hmm. why um, they use the systems that are 20 years old and more and mm-hmm. they are not compliant because it costs money to change them and a lot of work and probably um, a lot of people don't understand a lot about the technical issues because mm-hmm. a lot of people who worked at the QA Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did also a great podcast about it, uh, about uh, um, about the, uh, data integrity and computer system validation. And I talked to an expert, and mm-hmm. um, he also ex- uh, Dan- Daniel, and he also explained that uh, people from his experience uh, mm-hmm. that work in the quality, uh, they're um, not always good with IT. So it's, it's mm. understandable. So a lot of people are good with science, they're good with uh, chemistry, they're good with uh, quality, but uh, they're not uh, tech-savvy. Yeah. And they mm-hmm. don't really know where to look for. And th- that is the problem. So you need somebody who, uh, from one side, understands quality and GMP, and the other side, who is really good with uh, IT. And it's not that yeah. easy to find this combination uh, uh, of uh, people. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody who has all this knowledge, and uh, this is why uh, people that do this validation the, in, in, inside the company they sometimes oversee things that uh, yeah. because they yeah. lack this uh, IT knowledge. And uh, I, I think, yeah, I think that's why there's a lot of. I always see it that there's a lot of people from IT that will move into sort of CSV roles. Um, you know, from an SAP background uh, and certain things, IT integration. And, and they'll move into a CSV type position, a project and start to learn the regulations. Um, and a, a lot, to be fair, a lot of the best CSV people that, that, that we know do have a mix, I think, of, of that, which is, is probably a good thing from what you've just said. Yeah, so I hope it changes that people get more specialists. But I think we come back to the... Uh, to the point that uh, you should uh, bring the consultants and learn from them so you keep uh, keep the knowledge yeah. because uh, if it would it would it won't have um, any it won't be sensible to bring uh, a consultant for every system that you change uh, right yeah. so uh, you need uh, really to learn from them mm-hmm. so uh, how do you find the best contracts uh, and uh, where do you look for? So I don't know if you can uh, say in general. So I would prefer if we could uh, talk generally, not only in Switzerland. Uh, yeah. How do you look for it? Mm-hmm. So there's the standards. So typically, contracting positions aren't really advertised. So if you look at LinkedIn, you'll see that nine-tenths of them are all permanent-type positions. And I think a lot of the reason for that is that a lot of the consultant contracting type positions normally sit with that, that with the hiring managers directly and aren't really involved with talent acquisition, which are normally doing a lot of the, the hiring for the permanent type roles. Um, so, so that means, okay, well, how, how do you find a contracting role if, they're not, if a lot of them aren't typically advertised, um, if they're not advertised by the recruitment companies, I suppose, because the recruitment companies will advertise them, but you know, the Roche Novartis won't typically advertise consultant-type positions. It'll be all permanent ones. Um, and the, other than looking on LinkedIn uh, and following, you know, recruitment businesses that work within quality in your area, um, I would always highly adv- advise. There was a really interesting podcast which a guy called Lee Demont did in um, Zurich. Who I know he's a he's a rec to rec. Um, um, guy runs his own business. He worked in recruitment for 15 plus years, I think, maybe more. I don't want to fund him. Um, and he did about, he put a, a post up on Paul saying, um, do you know the right recruiter for you? You know, do you know the re- a recruiter that could get you a position? And there was a huge number that people didn't know the best. He did a cool podcast about um, how to find the right recruiter. So and, and ones obviously you can trust and that can give you the positions. So I think if you're if you're looking on LinkedIn, you know, connect with some senior recruiters within different recruitment businesses so you can see on what type of positions that they're advertising um, and network with them. Um, and I think that word there, network, is probably the biggest thing that, that you can do to, to get consultant type positions. And that it, it, there's loads of things it reverts back to as in, you know, if you're a consultant and, you know, working in a company, network within that company, you know, try and add value in any way, in any department that you can, you know, that the best contractors that aren't out of work, that's what they're doing. 
you know, they're, they're adding value in different projects. They're speaking to different managers, speaking to permanent staff, keeping your ear to the ground. If there's any issues or stuff you can help with and whatnot. Um, you know, it's, it's self-marketing, I suppose. And there's definitely a few things I've just said in that sentences that could be topics within themselves you could speak about for 30 minutes. But, but networking is, is one of the biggest things to, to, to get new contracts. And that's networking with other contract consultants as well, um, because they're the ones that might finish a contract and move on to a new project. And you could have a quick 10-minute call with them and they could say, hey, you know, I'm at Roche. We're actually looking for three consultants. My manager's in real need. Are you available? And this person goes, yeah, I am actually. And then it's just about who you know type thing. Um, it is one of the one of the big points, I think. So to jumpstart your career, so let's assume you don't know any consultants yet. Yeah. So the first thing would be to find a good uh, cons- uh, recruitment consultancy yeah. agency mm-hmm. that uh, specializes in contractors and uh, start um, thinking about what you want and really research, uh, think about what you want to do and research uh, what is needed in the market and probably a good uh, consultant, uh, good recruitment consultant can give you that uh, information. So so I guess it's the only way if those jobs are not advertised. After you're already in, get contacts, get uh, yep. get to know the, the, the people who work because usually um, companies hire more than one recru- uh, consultant on the, or contractors. Yeah. You can, um, so I've seen it uh, that uh, many of them, they seem uh, to know each other uh, from some yeah. other jobs. So it's uh, like a small market yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right there. So it's, uh, it's a small network and it always uh, helps. So uh, it helps. And then Definitely. you uh, bring j- job and help others uh, to find a job if you hear about openings, right? Yeah. So this is, and uh, are there other um, additional ways? Yeah, yeah, there's things. So I think one of the things is go to trainings. You know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a medical device, one in Switzerland called RAPS, specifically for regulatory affairs. You know, there's there's tons of others, you know, in quality and other things is that go to them events. So go to events, go to trainings, network with with people because the people that are going to these events and trainings, et cetera, are normally senior people within businesses. Um, that going there to extract, to learn about a new regulation or a new way of doing something that they'll then go and implement back in. So that, again, it comes down to networking, but a good thing's going to to events and going to trainings and, and, and A, you're going to learn some new things and, and B, you'll, you'll meet new people um, to, to, to do that. Um, yeah, I think the, the ultimate thing is, I suppose, is do a good job, <laughs> you know, right? It's pretty, there's, there's no secrets. You, you go in, you, you do a good job, you deliver a good service. Um, and then that company, if they ever need, hopefully that, that type of work again in the future, hopefully you'll get a call because you'll have made, you'll have networked and you'll have, you'll have, um, you'll have reached out to the right people, but it, it all comes down to, right. You know, if, if you do a bad job or don't do a good, good service, it doesn't matter how many people you know, you're not going to get another contract because, right. it, as you mentioned, we're a small industry. You know, recruiters know each other. <laughs> you know, everyone knows the same people, the same managers, and all the contractors tend to know each other. Um, so the, the, the biggest thing is networking. The second biggest thing is doing a good job, I think. And if you can, you do them as a, a contract consultant type thing, you, you should be, be okay with continuing getting good projects. Mm-hmm. So before a person does that move and uh, that big move and becomes independent, what question should uh, the person ask himself to make sure that uh, he's uh, built uh, for this job and he has uh, really the tools to do the job? Because as you mentioned, it's really important to do a good job and you need to make sure you can do it. Otherwise, you harm your reputation and um, you have a big problem then in this arena. Yeah, very much so. I think just be honest i suppose with yourself right you know if, if if you're applying for a quality director position and you've never been a quality director and you somehow get the job nine times out of ten you it's not really going to happen but you know if it's trying i'm trying to think of an example of whatever say for example there's a, a remediation project for an fda warning letter and you've been hired as a 
you know, quality project manager to, to run this whole project. You know, if you've got eight years experience, but you've never actually really led a, a project and done that side of things, some people are really talented and they, they learn on the job very quick and they'll be able to be fine. But there's some scenarios is just be sensible about the jobs that you're going to take. Know, know your limitations, know your strengths and play into it. The same as you would if you were a permanent employee, I'm guessing. You know, in a, the, the certain things that you're good at that you'll excel will be things you'll work on mm -hmm. as weaknesses. Yeah. But I, I think, think it, it's a bit, uh, maybe yeah. a bit different because in a permanent job, you would say, okay, I, uh, it's a company that I know well. And usually you say, you know, you in a permanent job, you want to stretch yourself. So and yeah. I think it's also okay because in a permanent job, uh, it's okay for you to jump into something that you have never done because you know, okay, I have yeah. six months uh, uh, for somebody to teach me or uh, there is uh, the time that uh, the one that leaves the role, he teaches you and then you you grow into the role. But I guess uh, as a consultant, you can, uh, it's, it's not something uh, yeah. that you can afford because uh, you're expected to come there and start working and uh, uh, bring yeah. value from the first day. Yeah, yeah, correct. I think that if you get it wrong, the implications are a lot, a lot worse uh, as a contractor, right? Because ultimately, it's your reputation that gets it, that's on the line every contract that you do. It's it's your reputation, and there's always a, a high expectation when you're hiring a contractor uh, to come in because you're paying a lot of money. You know, you, you you've hired them. You want them to come in and hit the ground running and go through the training manuals quicker than people in permanent do. Um, and there's that expectation that they sh you should get, you know, that, 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 that from them, um, which in some ways is unfair because everyone's, everyone's a human being and everyone learns the same way. And if, you know, the trainings, you know, I, I know some companies that will have trainings that will, could last up to three weeks of so many modules to do. Um, and they expect contractors to go through them quicker than permanent. And it's, so it's yeah I can understand it but <laughs> again everyone everyone's human right so um but yeah it's it's um it's, yeah, it's just about being knowing what you can do and and doing that I suppose but sometimes you have to take risks I suppose um and that's the only way you learn really isn't it if if you put put yourself out of your comfort zone um and push yourself that that could be a a benefit mm -hmm. Exactly. So, uh, first of all, know the area in which you mm -hmm. apply as a contractor. So, you should uh, really uh, know it and be able to contribute really quickly and uh, mm -hmm. know to push yourself uh, to learn uh, new things. And uh, as we said, it's really good for contractors. Um, so, basically, with time, when you go from one job to another, you really learn from the process and also you also learn from the permanent uh, employees in this uh, company and the other consultants that you work with. So you basically um, teach each other and uh, you grow. And uh, I know also that um, sometimes consultants uh, prefer to come as a pair because there are not always there are uh, uh, one right answer. Sometimes you need to play... Um, you know, chess with each other and really to challenge each other to, to bring yeah. the best results. So sometimes uh, um, you just need to make sure maybe that uh, you know somebody that um, also there, you know, to give you some uh, uh, push and uh, maybe some uh, help. But if you're alone, make sure that you know what you're doing, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much yeah. so. <laughs> so and now the person knows, okay, I can do it. I want uh, to be a consultant. So what, uh, uh, so let's talk a bit about uh, the benefits. So as a consultant, you g the only benefit that you get is money. So you get uh, no other thing as permanent employees. So uh, that's why we said you earn a bit more. So how much can a consultant uh, um, earn? So what is the range? Yeah, I think from a... If we take about the positions that we've discussed that are the, the engineering, validation, batch record, a CSV, et cetera, depending on your experience, it'll probably range from about 90 Swiss francs to about 120 Swiss francs per hour uh, gross. So, you know, if, if you're working that into a salary, roughly going to be about, you know, feel that 90 francs, it'll be 170 to 180,000 Swiss francs. The 120 francs gross, you know, you're going to be at that range of, over 200 
220. And I know the rates in Germany are typically higher than Switzerland. So you could even increase that from 100 to, to 130, 40 euros, I think, for senior good people in, in that bracket. Um, it is typically what the, the common range. I think it's, it's from, from, from EPM's standpoint, that's our sweet spot. You know, the, the, the type of market that we work is that mid to senior level type people um, within them hands-on type, type positions. And that's typically the, the hourly rates that, that we get. If you're a consultant, you know, you're going to be charging over 150, 160 plus north per hour um, in euros and probably the same in Swiss francs as well. So how do you know your worth and how do you ne negotiate for a better salary? So obviously as a recruiter... I don't want anyone to negotiate. <laughs> I'm keep kidding. Um, but no, I think um, it depends. If you're if if you're not a, we'll go from the whole spectrum from what we said. So if you're that seven years experienced person, that's just it's your first contract position. You're probably you'll know what the the market rate. You'll maybe know what um, hourly rates are out there. Typically, you'll be on the, the lower end um, side of things, um, and that, that that then can be quite difficult to try and negotiate a higher rate because you haven't got the experience to sort of back up why you should get a higher rate, I suppose. Um, but the biggest thing, I suppose, want if you're a seasoned contract consultant, you know, stand your ground. You know, do, you know, don't, don't you know, know your worth. You know, know do do your research. Speak to other consultants that that you know within your network and ask what hourly rate they are. They might not tell you, but if, if you build good relationships and you know people, you'll eventually start to paint a picture the same as what recruiters do in terms of what the, 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 the average type rates are for certain positions. Um, and I think what a lot of people, this year probably hasn't helped with things because companies have naturally decreased a lot of the hourly rates because of, coronavirus and, and trying to save money from certain aspects which we can understand but um a lot of consultants and contractors fall in the trap where a client will have a bad budget because a client typically might not have hired a lot of contract consultants before so they don't know what they should really pay they try and mirror it a little bit off a permanent type person um that then makes our job really difficult because we have to find a really, really good person for money that just you, you're not going to get. And then you end up having to propose a lower hourly rate to, to these people than normal, and they'll accept it because maybe they haven't had a job for four months, six months. Um, and then a lot of people can end up being ring-fenced because as soon as you take a lower rate, it's, quite, it's very difficult to then start getting back up the, the food chain in terms of them rates because, you know, naturally speaking with recruiters, you transparent you'll say what your current hourly rate is and uh, and that's what you'll the recruiter will try and give you the same because it's the same right and if the recruiter's got a low budget and they can't give you more than what you'd maybe like it, it's it's one of them things but i think that's why there's three parties that are there you know there's the candidate there's the recruiter and then there's the the end client and naturally everyone has to to get, get something of it right so it, it whittles down um but that's when about knowing the good recruiter, right? You know, knowing the good recruiter that will get you the good hourly rate contracts or that will be able to push the client higher because the recruiter knows and understands the value that you can bring. And that's the recruiter's job. You know, the recruiter should be pushing the client to pay, to pay more because that's A, going to make you happy and it's going to get you the job. But I guess uh, the, uh, the recruiter, uh, the consultants, uh, the, they... Um point out probably what you can get for your range because as you said it's uh, it's also beneficial for the uh, recruitment consultant uh, that uh, the person gets uh, paid more because you probably get uh, some percentage of the trade of the trade right uh, so you really then need to trust the, the recruitment consultant to, to give you advice on that and um then you just so, yeah. need to approach and explain what are exactly your strengths and your expertise. And according to that, uh, you can uh, set the rate. Yeah. So it's, it's a bit from a recruitment standpoint, I suppose, to educate people how a contract recruiter will, will make money for the business is there's the candidate hourly rate, then the recruitment agency will put a, a certain amount of margin on top 
of that rate. So it could be 20% margin on top of so 100 euros. The, the recruitment company will want you know, 20% um, margin, so that's then 120. The client budget could be 140. Uh, sorry, uh, the client budget will be 120. So that the margin that they'll take is there. So it's not typically taken upon, you know, if you earn more money, we earn more money because it's on a permanent type recruitment, that's how it would work. You know, the, the higher salary that we get you, our margin then becomes, becomes more. But on a contracting side of pieces that, we're pretty ring fenced to a certain degree of, of what the client budget will be if we can't increase them because we have to factor in a lot of costs within a specific number. And that typically results in our margin becoming less if the candidate is, you know, knows their value, doesn't budge on their hourly rate. And um, yeah, it is how it works like that. Okay. So thank you for those tips. So, Thomas, do you want to add something else, something that? we haven't spoken about and you wanted to address? I think that, you know, being a consultant and contractor is has tons and tons of benefits to it. There is a few negatives, I suppose. Um, but I think it's very much down to the individual. Um, and I always say that, you know, if, 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 if someone's always thought about doing it, just do it. Just, 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 just start, do it and see where it goes. Um, but the same thing with your podcast, right? You'll have always maybe thought about doing it. And then you eventually just did it and you're now here. So um, just go for it. Um, and you're always going to get a job somewhere else if something doesn't work out right. Um, exactly. So yeah. you can always uh, get back to a permanent job. But I, but I guess also while you're looking, you don't have to quit your job. So you can uh, yeah. first uh, look for the first uh, uh, contractor job and uh, uh, without quitting and, um, and losing your uh, safe net. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah very much so yeah i would say it's 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 obviously a lot harder at the beginning but the more experience you have it gets a lot easier and then the benefits will obviously be a lot higher yeah so for thomas thank you very much for for all this interesting information that i hope really would help a lot of people in the pharma industry in the quality arena that want to make the jump or maybe didn't have haven't considered it but maybe now they would think about this this option to do it and i wish them a best of luck and yeah. i also thank you very much for for all that information and i wish you an amazing uh, day and uh, good luck with uh, with recruiting uh, during this uh, yeah. a bit difficult time but uh, i hope it, uh, it it gets better perfect no thank you for having me um it was a pleasure to to speak um and yeah um, we'll speak soon thank you for uh, watching and listening to this episode of the qualitox podcast I hope you found it interesting and informative. If you liked it, consider sharing it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. Stay compliant and see you in the next one.